Thank you. Good morning, everybody. So good to be with you again. I'm liking your weather up here. I understand it's a little hotter last week. No comparison to Texas. How'd you like to get up in the morning and it'd be 90 degrees? And before the day's up, 111, 112, 113. That sounds like a time to just stay in the house in front of the air conditioning. Amen. But we are so thrilled to be with you once again. We love your pastors and the family, and uh, we always look forward to coming. So thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting their vision. And if you will, you go ahead and be seated. Praise God. I forgot to ask what time I'm supposed to stop in this first service. <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> I was down in Florida not too long ago, and they had two morning services like this, and and I, I just got in, a, got in a good flow, and it was time to quit. I said, it's time to quit. And he said, yeah, it's time to let these people out and let the new group in. I said, we're not letting them out. Just bring those others in, you know. <laughs> and we just hung them on the walls somewhere and just kept going, praise God. All right, so we'll do our best to be, behave ourselves, okay? Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. As Joe mentioned, uh, all year my assignment has been to challenge the body of Christ wherever God may send us. And as Joe mentioned, we have been all over the world since January of this year. France, Ireland, uh, England, um, Ethiopia, South Africa, Australia. I mean, you name it, we've been there. And we preached this message to the body of Christ all over the world. And we're seeing and receiving some tremendous testimonies from it. Every October, I set time aside to, to listen to what the Spirit of God wants me to emphasize uh, for the coming new year. And every year, He gives me a prophetic word. And that's what I, I take and run with. And I don't change it until He says otherwise. And of course, the more I preach it, the more insight I receive, the more revelation. It's inexhaustible. You just can't, you can't say, you know, I've, I've preached everything there is to know about that subject. No, every time I get in this book, I find more information. And uh, I ask the Lord every year when he gives me that prophetic word, I say, Lord, if you don't mind, I'd like for you to confirm it with me now so that when I take it to the rest of the world, it will give validity to the message. And he does it every year. And so in October of 2022, as I was seeking him as to that direction, he said, challenge the body of Christ to begin to expect and to believe for the maximum, the highest level attainable. You know, so many Christians settle for less than God's best. Thank you for your enthusiasm. A lot of Christians, they just, you know, settle for, God's, uh, settle for less than God's best. I remember a number of years ago, we invited uh, a, a well-known speaker to come and share with our staff there in Fort Worth. And he speaks to a lot of Fortune 500 companies, motivational speaker and so forth. And so we're all sitting there in the auditorium. And when we turned it to him, he asked the question. 
He said, how many of you believe dogs love bones? Well, everybody lifted their hands. I mean, I have a dog. I just gave him a bone that morning and he did not walk away from it. He took it immediately. <laughs> and we all lifted our hands. He said, dogs don't love bones. They love steak. They settle for bones. I put my hand down. <laughs> That's true. They love steak, but they settle for bones. And I thought that'll preach. There's a lot of Christians that settle for bones when they could be having steak. There's steak in this book. <laughs> Amen. There's a feast in this book. There's a banquet in this book. Uh, I heard Brother Copeland say way back in 1969, the first message I ever heard him preach. He said, uh, a lot of you Christians are waiting for this uh, banquet that is uh, recorded in the Bible. But most of you think that it's a heavenly banquet. And he said, it's not. It's an earthly banquet. It says, he will prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemy. He said, Satan is not going to heaven. That's your enemy. So this is an earthly banquet. And then he added this. He said, and most of you are not coming to the table. He said, I sit at the table and I look at all these empty chairs. And that, that really made a hit with me. I thought, well, if God is preparing a table for me in the presence of my enemies, then I'm coming to the table every time they ring the bell. Yeah. Amen. So why settle for less when, when God has something far greater than you and I could ever imagine? The Bible says in Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm giving you plenty of time to find Philippians 3. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, it says, I have not seen, ear hath not heard, and neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for those that love him. He's saying there are things that we haven't even heard about yet that God has prepared for us. So no matter what we've already experienced, and I've experienced a lot, I'm in my 54th year of ministry, and I've experienced a lot. That's the reason I, I say often, uh, you know, I don't know why I'm God's favorite child. I just am. And you do come a close second, praise God. Be grateful for that. Amen. No, he's no respecter of persons. He loves you just as much as he loves me. But he's done so many wonderful things in my life. He makes me feel like I must be his favorite child. And that's the way you ought to feel. But even though I have experienced a lot, I mean, it is not any way that I could cover in one day all the things that I've experienced in 54 years. And yet, God says, son, you haven't seen anything yet. The best is yet to come. Look at your neighbor and say, the best is yet to come. Amen. So if there's more, then I, I want to be a recipient of it. I heard Jesse the Planner say one time, uh, wanting more of what God has is not greed. Amen. It's growth, he said. Amen. So how many of you want everything God says is yours? Why not? If God says it's yours, then why not have it? Why not experience it? You know, I, I set up trust funds for my, my children, my grandchildren. Of course, my children are grown and blessing me with grandchildren. And now my grandchildren are blessing me with great-grandchildren. 
And uh, I've set up trust funds for every one of them. And, and when they reach 21 years old, they're, they are able to take that trust fund and do whatever they choose to do with it. And now I have two great-granddaughters. One is less than six weeks old, and the other just turned three. And, and they don't know anything about trust funds. They don't, even know what, they, they don't even know what it means. But nevertheless, it exists. I set it up the day they were born. As soon as I left the hospital, I went straight to my CPA and set up this trust fund and I, I contribute to it faithfully every month. In fact, I don't even have to think about it. They just take it automatically out of my checking account and put it into their trust fund. And, and uh, by the time they're 21 years old, they have a, a wonderful nest egg. Some of them, uh, you know, several of my grandchildren are already past 21. They've already taken their trust fund. Uh, one of them, uh, he blew it as soon as he got it, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, the other, he bought him a new car, paid cash. I wish my dad had known about trust funds, <laughs> you know, my dad didn't know anything about it, but this grandson, he paid cash for his first car, you know, and, and one of the granddaughters, uh, she, she uh, bought new furniture for her apartment in downtown Dallas and then invested the rest of it and living well off of the investment. And the second granddaughter did the same thing. And so what I'm saying is there are things that God has prepared for us that we may not have heard about, haven't heard about, seen, or even registered in our hearts, but nevertheless, they exist. Amen. And I hear God saying, it's time to go for them. How many of you want God's best? Well, it's time to go for it. Don't settle for anything less. Amen. Now, you found Philippians chapter 3. Notice in verse uh, 13, Philippians 3.13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Notice the phrase, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. The message translation says it this way. I've got my eye on the goal. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. I've got my eye on the goal. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. The passion translation says it this way. I forget the past, listen to this, as I fasten my eyes on the future. I forget the past as I fasten my eyes on the future. Notice that phrase again. Say it with me. I fasten my eyes. That was weak. Did my mic go off? You didn't hear me? <laughs> Say it again. I fasten my eyes on the future. I have seen in the word of God that I have a bright future. You have a bright future, whether you know about it or not. Don't allow the media to dictate to you what your future is going to be like. CNN is not final authority. Not in my life. Maybe in some of you, but it's not final authority in my life. In fact, a lot of times, if I happen to turn the TV on and CNN, CNN is on and they're telling 
you know, the whole world, what it's going to be like over the next few days and what's going to happen and this, that, and the other. And I'll just talk back to the TV. I say, well, that might be the way it's going to be in your family, but not in my family. Amen. And then I, I just turn them off. I'm not going to let them infiltrate my spirit and, 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 and cause me to become distracted on what God has promised. For the sake of a title, my title this morning is Focused on the Future that God's Planned for Us. Focused on the future that God has planned for us. So notice once again, I fasten my heart on the future, not the past, nor the present, but on the future. I like knowing that God has promised me a blessed and bright and wonderful future. Amen. Now, I have, I have people always, and some of them get a little upset with me, always trying to tell me what the media says. Brother Jerry, don't you know the media said? No, I don't know that. <laughs> don't you watch CNN? No, I don't. Thank you. <laughs> well, don't you want to be up to date? Are you kidding me? CNN is up to date? They can only report what they think is happening and what they can see with their natural eye. But my Bible says things which are seen are subject to change. They're temporal. They're not permanent. So why get upset over something that's not even permanent? Amen? Temporary. That's what temporal means. Temporary. Why get bent out of shape, so to speak, over something that's not even permanent? It's temporary. Amen. Uh, I remember Brother Copeland saying years ago, he said, uh, why, why allow the newspaper to dictate your future when, when what they print today will be thrown in the trash later this afternoon? And then he said this, and I thought it was quite bold. I never heard a preacher so bold. He said, why would I want the newspaper to dictate my future when it's going to be in the bottom of the bird cage in the morning and the bird knows what to do with it? That was Brother Copeland, not me. I just re I'm just repeating what he said. Okay. Amen. So why, why are Christians so fascinated with what the world says? Amen. And, and many of them that... They, they can tell you everything the media says. They're up to date on that. They don't want to miss anything. And they can't tell you five scriptures about the future that the Bible says. Amen. I'm focused on the future. And I, I get my focus from what God says in his word. Amen. I like knowing, once again, that God has promised me a bright future a blessed future, a prosperous future. I'm one of these strange people that loves getting old. Older. I'll be 77 in December. And I look forward. In fact, about a month after my birthday, which is December the 24th, Christmas Eve, you know, Jerry and Jesus right up there, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> 
And I'll be 77 years old on December the 24th. And one month later, I'm already, I'm already talking about 78. My wife says, you're a nut. You're already talking about being 78 and you're not just a month over 77. I said, yeah. She said, why are you always talking about looking forward to getting older? She doesn't. Now, don't tell her I told you this, but she'll be 75 in September. <laughs> and of course, this is not being recorded. So she'll never know that I, that I said it, okay? She's probably watching right now. Yeah. She'll be 75. She's the prettiest 75 I've ever seen in my life. And, uh, but she, she, she uh, says, why do you always talk about getting older? Well, because there are promises in God's Word for people who get older. And most old people don't know them. I'm not, I don't think retire. You know, I graduated from high school in 1964. And the high school I went to in Shreveport, Louisiana was very well known uh, in the state of Louisiana. And, uh, and there are a lot of men and women that graduated from that school who come, went on to become famous athletes. Terry Bradshaw graduated from our high school. He graduated my wife. My wife and Terry uh, went to school ever since about the fifth or sixth grade. I was two years older than Terry, but I was, I was a senior when he was a, a, a sophomore. Uh, Robert Parrish, who played for the Boston Celtics, he graduated my sister. Uh, and we had a, a lot of great athletes that came out of that school. And every year, uh, they send me an invitation to come back to a reunion. The only one I've ever got to go to was my 20-year reunion, which was 1984. But they, they encouraged me to come every year if, if possible, and they, they're always wanting me to come and speak to the whole student body, and, and they've given me awards. Uh, they, they awarded me my 20-year anniversary. They awarded me as the only graduate in 1964, who had worldwide recognition. The next year, uh, I didn't get to go, but they awarded, they awarded uh, Carol and I as the only couple who were still married to the same people, you know? <laughs> and uh, that's a great award, praise God. And so, uh, but anyway, they send me a book because they know I'm interested in what everybody's doing. In fact, I, I got a call just a few weeks ago. I, I didn't take the call, but my, one of my secretaries took it. And uh, this young man by the name of Stanley Prothero, he said, uh, tell Jerry that he and I went to high school together. Ask him if he remembers me. And so they sent the message uh, up to my office and uh, when I got home, I read it. And I said, Stanley Prothro, yes, I remember you. He and I used to uh, hang out a lot together when we were growing up. We graduated together. And I hadn't seen him since probably 65 or 66. And uh, he said, I live in Minden, Louisiana. And the church that I go to, and I was shocked that he went to church. And so <laughs> he was shocked I was a preacher, you know. But I was shocked he even went to church. And so he said, the church I go to, they uh, 
have been talking about Jerry Savelle. And I told them one day, well, I went to high school with him and they don't believe me. <laughs> and they said, he's, the note said, ask Jerry if he would come to my church so I can prove that I know him. <laughs> so I asked, I said, well, uh, would it be all right if I come any day of the week? Because I don't have any Sundays left open. And I said, uh, hey, they wrote back and said, yes, any day of the week. So we sent them back a confirmation that I'm going to be there on a Friday night before I go on to some other part of the southern part of the country. And, uh, and I want to see him, but he is looking forward to seeing me so he can stand up in front of everybody and say, see, I told you I know him. You know? <laughs> but they send me a book every year of all the graduates in 64 that they can locate and what they're doing. And every year I get that book, I get it usually, they have the reunion in May, so I usually get it uh, shortly after that. And I like going through it. And all the graduates they can find uh, that they've located, and they're all over the country, they'll tell what they're doing. And many times it'll say deceased for several of them. And then retired, retired, retired. Then one of them may be doing this, that, or the other, but most of them, deceased or retired. And I thought, well, I'm certainly not deceased, but I don't even think about retiring. I mean, retire? What else would I do? This is not a job. It's a calling. It's a calling. I remember uh, several years ago, you got time for all this? Uh, several years ago, I was preaching up in Baltimore. And I had, I had sewn the airplane that I was flying at the time into Brother Copeland's ministry it's because he, his children, uh, Kelly, and, and some of uh, the grandchildren, they were out preaching now, you know, like uh, um, Jeremy. And, and they were out preaching now. So I thought, well, I'm going to sew this airplane back into Brother Copeland's ministry so his children and grandchildren can use it for their ministries. And so I was without an airplane for a short time. And uh, so I'm in, I flew commercial up to Baltimore and the pastor picked me up and he said, Brother Jerry, I thought you owned your own airplane. I said, well, I did, but I, I sold it into Brother Copeland's ministry. And as we're driving to the hotel, he said, well, what are you believing for now? I said, well, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm believing for another airplane. I said, I've owned airplanes ever since I've been in the ministry and, and uh, it's very seldom I go very long without having acquired another one. I said, but I really haven't thought about another airplane. He said, okay. So I got to the hotel and just had enough time to change into my suit and he picked me up to take me to the service. Then afterwards, he wanted to take me out to eat with his family and we didn't get back to the hotel till nearly one o'clock in the morning. And then I had to catch a commercial flight to Philadelphia. So I, I was up late that night putting away everything and only left out what I would need for the morning. And as I'm hanging up my suit, I heard the Lord say, are you through? Are you done? Have you retired? I said, no, I, I'm not through. I'm not done. I haven't retired. He said, what did I tell you when you first went in the ministry? 
I said, well, you told me a lot of things. What are you referring to? He said about aviation. I said, oh, you told me that I would not be able to fulfill what I'm called to do without airplanes in my ministry. He said, well, I'll ask you again. Are you through? Are you done? Are you retired? I said, no, I'm not through. I'm not done and I'm not retired. Well, what makes you think you can fulfill what I've called you to do without airplanes in your ministry now? Uh, how many of you have learned you don't argue with God? <laughs> I stand corrected. I said, well, apparently I'm not through with aviation. He said, I'm glad you got the point. He said, get back on your faith for your next one. So uh, when I was picked up by that pastor next morning, I said, pastor, forget what I said the last, last night. I'm back on my faith and I'm believing for my next airplane. He said, okay, I'll agree with you. I got home and I told Carolyn. I said, Carolyn, forget what I said about not believing for another airplane. She said, I didn't think that'd last very long, you know. <laughs> then I had to have a staff meeting because I told the whole staff, you know, we, we're probably not believing for another airplane. They, some of them looked like we've never heard this before. And so I had to have a staff meeting correct that. And then Keith Moore, I was at Keith's before I went to uh, Baltimore. And Keith asked me, Brother Jerry, what, what kind of airplane are you believing for now? And I had told him the same thing. And he just kind of looked at me. He said, okay. So uh, shortly after that, I had come home and corrected all that. Keith calls me. And he said, Brother Jerry, are you sure you're, you're, you're done with aviation in your ministry? I said, no, Keith, let me tell you what happened when I was in Baltimore. He said, well, I'm glad to hear that because I'm believing for my next airplane and God told me to sow the one I'm in now into your ministry and I'm glad you'll receive it, won't you? I said, well, is the Pope Catholic? Yes, bring it to me, praise God. I'm ready for it. Amen. So we, we got back in the aviation and since then, God's blessed us with another one. Okay, so... The blessings of God are in my future. They're in your future as well. Amen. God's not done with you yet. Don't allow the media or any non-believing believer, and certainly not the world, convince you that you've seen everything that you can possibly see that God has in store for you. No, you haven't. Look at your neighbor and say, with a big smile on your face, the best is yet to come. Amen. So once again, I like knowing that God has planned for me a blessed and prosperous and bright future, particularly in times like we're living in now, when, when everything is so unstable and uncertain. But listen to what the prophet Jeremiah said. You all know this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. The message translation says it this way. I have it all planned out, plans to take care of you. Well, that's shouting ground right there. My mic went off again. I said, that is shouting ground right there. He has plans to take care of us. Amen. Notice I have it all planned out, plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. 
How many of you are hoping for a great future? Yes. Amen. Well, God's promise right here is that he plans to provide for you the future that you hope for. So that would say to me, my future is bright. God is involved in my future. And when God's involved in your life, then you got a reason to shout. You got a reason to hold your head up high. You got a reason to put a smile on your face and a dance in your step. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen. Well, let's give the Lord a shout for it. Amen. amen. Hallelujah. So what, what's the future you're, you're hoping for? Are you hoping for a blessed future? Are you hoping for a prosperous future? Or have you decided that the government is going to dictate your future? The Republicans are going to dictate your future. The Democrats are going to dictate your future. Amen? No, they're not. They're not controlling my future. I'm an American and, and proud to be an American. But the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, the end of, you know, whatever party, they don't dictate my future. God's word is final authority in my life. And if God says, I'll give you the future you hope for, then that's the future I'm going to have, praise God. And, and whatever I go through in between now and the future, I'm going to go through it with a smile on my face, knowing that this is not the end. God's got plans for me. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? All we have to do is stay obedient to His Word, stay in faith, and stay focused on what He's promised. Three things. Stay obedient to His Word, stay in faith, and stay focused on what He has promised. Say it with me. Stay obedient to His Word, stay in faith, and stay focused on what He has promised. Now, in Jer uh, Job chapter 36 and verse 11, listen to this. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. That's my future. I'm going to spend my days in prosperity and my years in, in, in pleasures. Hallelujah. I'm having the time of my life right now. I am. Yes, anybody that knows me well. I don't, I don't have down days. I don't get down I get down, but I don't get down. You know, uh, I don't have, I, I don't, I don't battle depression. I don't battle sorrow. I don't wake up grumpy. John Osteen said one time, somebody asked him, said, do you wake up grumpy? He said, no, I just let Dodie sleep. <laughs> Only John. <laughs> he was a funny guy. But, but I, I, I wake up happy. In fact, and Carolyn says, um, we are so opposite, but opposites attract. You know, and uh, when one eyelid opens, I think my leg is connected to my eyelid. When one eyelid opens, this leg starts climbing out of bed. I don't care what time it is. As far as I'm concerned, it's, it's, it's time to get up and get busy and get, get in action. And I get up with a smile on my face. I get up ready to go, ready for action, praise God. Amen. Motivated. Looking forward to what God is going to do today. 
Somebody say, what if he doesn't do anything? There's always tomorrow. Hallelujah. I, I, stay, I stay positive. I don't let things get to me. You can ask my wife. You can ask people that, that work with me. I just don't let things get to me. I, I like what the Apostle Paul said about, uh, you know, uh, the things that are present, things that uh, are, are, are to come. None of these things shall separate me from the love of God. So I know God loves me and I know he has a plan for me. So why allow things present or things to come to distract you and, and cause you to lose your focus on what God has promised? Amen. So notice it says, they, they serve him, with, they are obedient and serve him. They shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. The message translation says, they'll have a good long life. A good long life. I, I've said, ever since I heard Kenneth Hagin say this, way back in about 1970, first time I heard Kenneth Hagin. Brother Hagin said, uh, he will, he will give me long life. And he said, if you ever hear I'm gone, he said he'll, he satisfies me with long life. And he said, if you ever hear I'm gone, it's because I got satisfied. And he lived for a long time. And so I started confessing that after I heard Brother Hagin say it. I said, uh, he satisfies me with long life. Now, my dad started having heart attacks in his 50s. And he, he wasn't supposed to live a massive heart attack uh, when he was not even 60 years old. And I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in the bush of Kenya. And I got up one morning and I heard the Lord say, pray for your father. He's had a massive heart attack. But I couldn't get to him. I'm in, I'm in the bush in Kenya. And back in those days, this is like 1977, something like that. Back in those days, there were only two flights out of Nairobi back to the UK. And then you could get a flight from the UK back into New York and on into DFW. But I'm, I'm out in the bush and I'm eight hours away from Nairobi. So I can't get back to him. And so I had to wait until Thursday for the next flight out of Nairobi. And when I, when I arrived home, my wife met me at the door and said, uh, your dad is in Florida. He was visiting his younger brother, had a massive heart attack. He's in the hospital and he's not expected to live. So I got in my airplane and flew down to uh, Okeechobee, Florida and went into the hospital and, and met with the doctor first. And the doctor said, your, your dad is not leaving this hospital. He will die tonight. And he showed me the charts and everything. His heart was functioning at 20%. I said, well, where's my dad? Take me to him. So he took him to my dad and he's all hooked up with everything. And when I walked in, dad started crying. I said, dad, we've got one of two options. We can either uh, let what the doctor said be final authority, or we can go to the word of God and see what God says. Now it's your life. I don't believe it's time for you to go. I don't want you to go. I need you. He worked for me. I said, I need you. And I don't want you to go. I said, but I, I will set myself in agreement with whatever your decision is. But I just want you to know, 
I don't believe it's time for you to go. And he just said, son, I don't want to die. I said, that's all I need to hear. So I laid my hands on him, prayed with him. And I took my father out of that hospital in the next four hours, put him on the airplane, flew home, and he lived another 15 years, praise God. Amen. But he started, he started having heart attacks in his 50s. Now, his father, my grandfather, my grandfather, I was the oldest grandchild on that side of the family. And my grandfather told me, from far back as I remember, son, I just hope to live to see you graduate from high school. I graduated in May of 1964. He came to the graduation. I started college September 1964. And my first week in college, I get a phone call from my dad. My grandfather died. He lived to see me graduate. And he was 60 years old. Dad started having heart attacks at 50. Grandpa died heart, heart disease at 60. Okay? So there was, there was that in our family of heart conditions and dying young. On my mother's side, they were dying of strokes. But I said, after hearing Kenneth Hagin, way back there in 1970, with long life, he will satisfy me. Now, my dad eventually died at 72 years old. I'm 77. I'll be uh, 77 here in a few days. What am, am I 77 or 78? <laughs> I'm 77. I'll be 78 in a couple of months, okay? And uh, so anyway, uh, I've already outlived my father. Now, my mother lived to be 82, but she died of a stroke. Her mother died of a stroke. Some of her sisters died of strokes. Satan tried to kill me with a stroke about six years ago, and he couldn't do it. Amen. Hallelujah. And I've, I've said, I will outlive all my relatives. With long life, he will satisfy me. So I have the promise of long life. That's my future. And if you ever hear I'm gone, it's because I got satisfied, okay? <laughs> Amen. But I'm not satisfied yet. I still got a lot to do. And I'm going to do it in good health. Somebody's, who was it told me I look good when I come in this morning? Yeah, you. And, and he said, you look good. I said, thank you. In 2019, Brother Copeland and I were doing a meeting together in Branson at Keith Moore's church, a victory campaign. Brother Copeland said, uh, Jerry, how much you weigh now? I said, I weigh 165. He said, I weigh 169. I said, Kenneth Copeland, you will never be smaller than me. You understand? You will never <laughs> be smaller than me. So I got real serious right then, and I now weigh 145, and I've weighed that since 2019. Amen. I'm in, I'm in good health. Hallelujah. Why? Because I got a future, and it's a bright future. It's, it, 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 it's good. I'll have a good, long life. And I, I see people my age that are just barely getting around. I'm still riding motorcycles. Two wheels. <laughs> Two wheels. <laughs> Amen. I just finished a, a tour across California. We just finished one. Where, where was that other one we went to, Joe? Uh, somewhere just recently. 
and I'm still right. And, and we were going through mountains and everything. And, and when we, there was about 50 or 60 of us. And when we stopped, every time they'd stop, uh, the guys behind me would say, Brother Jerry, you are amazing. You're 77 years old and you're riding like you're 47 years old. I say, yeah, ain't it something? Praise God. <laughs> Amen. I plan to keep riding two wheels as long as I possibly can. And then I'll get on three wheels. Amen. Motorcycles are in my future. Praise God. I've been riding them since I was 14 years old and I'm not done yet. Okay. So, and by the way, our church light Christian bikers just left Sturgis about two weeks ago. Over 6,000 salvations during that during the Sturgis rally. Amen. Praise God. That puts us up to over 560,000 salvations in the last 25 years, just through the motorcycle ministry. Isn't that amazing? So if you've got a problem with motorcycles, get over it. God's using them. Amen. So a good long life. That's my future. Look at your neighbor and say, that's my future. Now, here's, here's, here's what I love. Go with me to Psalm 92. How am I doing on time? Two seconds? Two seconds? Oh, they're giving me five seconds now. Okay. <laughs> Psalm 92. Look at this. This is what I get excited about. Look at verse 13. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. And fat there does not mean overweight. In the literal Hebrew, it means prosperous. They shall be prosperous and flourishing. That's my future. I said, that's my future. You don't hear CNN talking like that. In fact, in between CNN, they, they're trying to promote some kind of shower that you don't have to climb in or some bathtub you don't have to climb in. They're targeting old people. But I'm, I'm, I'm one of the rare breed, hallelujah. I still get in a regular tub and a regular shower. Amen. And I don't need any help getting in or out. Hallelujah. So notice here, they shall flourish in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. Fat means prosperous and flourishing means thriving and increasing in every way. And that's exactly what we're experiencing. Ever since COVID, our ministry has gone to another level. Year after year, ever since COVID, breaking records. And then the next year, we'll break those records. The next year, we'll break those records. And we're on target right now to break the records we broke the last three previous years. We're flourishing. Amen. We're fat. <laughs> flourishing. And prospering. Why? Because that's our focus. That's our focus. Every year when I receive the prophetic word, one of the first things we do is have our art department to make up a little bookmark 
and we give one to everybody in our church. And we encourage them to keep it in a place that, that they look at quite often so they can stay focused. And, and, and it says 2023, the year of the maximum, the highest level attainable. Every staff member has these on their desk. We encourage them when they come to the office, first thing they do is read that. Decree it. 2023 is my year for the maximum. My year for the highest level attainable. Amen? And consequently, that's what we're experiencing. Not just me, not just our ministry, but staff in the ministry are flourishing and experiencing uh, some of their greatest uh, miracles and breakthroughs that they've ever experienced. So, Stay focused on the future that God has planned for you. Don't let unbelieving believers talk you out of it. Let me read it from the Passion Translation. I guess I better close. And... You keep doing this. Thou shalt have what they, you say. Okay. Listen to Passion Translation. They are thriving and they will overflow and be anointed. Amen. Old age. Yes. They will overflow. They will still overflow and be anointed. Overflow means experiencing abundance, plenty, and more than enough. Yes. See, that, I think this is the reason why uh, a lot of people, when they retire, they stop dreaming. They lose drive and motivation. And then you stop dreaming, you start dying. I'm still dreaming, and I plan to keep on dreaming. Older people in here, don't ever stop dreaming. Don't ever stop uh, believing what the Word says about your future. Amen. So notice here, they are thriving and they will still overflow and be anointed. That means the anointing on my life, I have this promise, will not diminish. It's going to keep growing. And that's what we're experiencing. In fact, uh, we come home from particularly these overseas meetings. Dear Lord, the anointing has just gone to another level. We were in Ethiopia and the crowd, we had thousands of people, the crowd attacked me just to try to touch me. And, and be close to the anointing. They, they were hurting me. And Tony, that's been here with me before, Big Tony. Tony, I said, Tony, you got to get me out of here. They're hurting me. They were pulling on my arm. They're pulling on my leg. They were almost tearing my clothes off. I, I, I found out what it was like when the Bible says in, uh, in the ministry of Jesus, they thronged him. Just wanted to be close to the anointing. And finally, Tony had to kind of pick me up and get me out of there. Because they, they were, they wanted close to the anointing. And it's increasing. Hallelujah. The older I get, the more anointed I get. Hallelujah. I got a bright future. How about you? A bright future, praise God. All right. I don't know what to do here this morning. Are you going to stay? Is there another group out there waiting to get in? Let them in. <laughs> if you're ready to go, you can go, okay? Is that, that fine? If you're ready to go, you can go. But I'm not done yet. <laughs> this is part two, okay? 
This is your future we're talking about. All right, praise God. All right, now listen to this. Jesus, oh, oh you got to hear this before I tell you what Jesus said. Uh, as I said, the anointing will not diminish. This is what, when we get older, we can anticipate, we can expect. I like to say, I heard God in 1969. I actually heard him in 1957 while I was watching Oral Roberts on television. I heard the call to preach, but that's, that's not what I wanted to do, and I ran from it, but I didn't answer the call until 1969. So here's what I like to say. I heard, go ye in 1969, and I haven't heard, stop ye yet. So I'm going to continue to go ye, okay? And I'll say it again. My future is bright. Why would I want to stop when I can expect the anointing to get even stronger and stronger? And the anointing is what we need to help people all over the world. No matter what happens in the days ahead, I'm staying focused on the promises of God. Now, listen to this. Psalm 115. Verses 12 through 15. This is part of your future. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. That's your future. That's your children's future. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. I've experienced increase ever since I accepted Jesus as Lord of my life. And I'm experiencing it more and more as I've gotten older. The Lord has been extremely good to me and my family and to our ministry. We're increasing more and more. And so why, why would I want to allow somebody else to distract me from what God has promised when I have the promise of increase more and more. Can you say amen? amen. Look at your neighbor and say, stay focused on the future. He goes on to say, you are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The Passion Translation reads this way. The Lord will never forget us in our need. He will bless us. God himself will fill you with more. Blessings upon blessings will be heaped upon you. I could have been a lawyer. I rest my case. <laughs> blessings upon blessings will be heaped upon you. I, I, I heard Buddy Harrison say this a long, long time ago. Buddy said, all we got to do is get under the spout where the blessings come out. <laughs> Amen. Get under the spout where the blessings come out. He, he will bless you and bless you and heap blessings upon you. That's my future. That's your future. Have you heard that on CNN lately? By the way, folks, breaking news. Don't believe anything we say. God just told us blessings are going to be heaped on you. You won't see that on CNN. But you'll see it in B-I-B-L-E. Amen. Hallelujah. This is where I get my information. This is what I'm going to stay focused on. So that's our future. Blessings heaped upon us. One of Satan's tactics has always been 
and still is to this day, distract you. Jesus, in the parable of the sower, sows the word in Mark chapter 4. He said, once the word is sown in a person's heart, Satan comes immediately to steal that word. How soon does he come? Immediately. So that means when you leave this church this morning, Satan will do his utmost to steal what you've heard in this service today. Because that's what Jesus said. But when you know that, you have the advantage. Amen? When, when, when it, you get a bad report or somebody tells you, you know, otherwise than what you've heard, then you immediately think, well, Jesus told me that would happen. This is Satan trying to distract me. He's trying to rob me of my focus. And so you have an advantage when you know that that's what Satan is planning to do. So your attitude has got to be, Satan, I'm not moved by this. The Apostle Paul said, none of these things move me. That's got to become your motto, your way of living. None of these things move me. Now, the uh, Amplified Bible in Mark chapter 4 says this, the cares and the anxieties of the world and the distractions of the age. This is how Satan is out to steal the word in your heart. Through the cares and anxieties of the world and the distractions of the age. How many of you have noticed there are a lot of distractions today? A lot of distractions. You know, uh, you can't turn on the television set without another distraction. You, you, you can't go to the office without people talking about the distractions. You, 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 you can hardly go to church anymore without people talking about the distractions. You know, I notice in, in studying the, 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 the sermons that Jesus taught, there was a central theme in every one of them. And it was this. They say, but I say unto you. They say this, but I say unto you. And that central theme is dare to be different. This is what the Pharisees say, but I say unto you. This is what the Sadducees say, but I say unto you. Hilton Sutton used to say the reason they were called Sadducees, they didn't believe in a resurrection. That's the reason they were sad, you see? <laughs> now, they say this, but I say unto you. So in other words, his central theme in every sermon was dare to be different. Don't be like everybody else. Don't fall for what everybody else falls for. Don't allow distractions in your life like everybody else has. You can be different. Amen? I remember uh, my dad used to tell me that he had a, an aunt that lived in Florida, and I had never met her. So she was my great aunt, but I had never met her, but I'd heard my dad speak of her. And he, he referred to her as an old maid school teacher because she never married. And she was a seven-day Adventist school teacher. And he would go see her from time to time, but I had never met her. And he would take her my books, and he'd take her back then cassette tapes and series and all, you know, and she would listen to them and read the books and all. And every time he would go to see her, she'd tell him, I want to meet Jerry. 
And he said, well, uh, Aunt Florence, she, he, he's, all, he's all over the world all the time. I'll I, I, I do my best to get him here when I can. And finally, she told my dad, she said, uh, I don't have much time left. I know I'm getting ready to go home and be with the Lord. And I want to meet Jerry. I have something to say to him before I go. So dad told me the next time we were in Florida, we made a special trip to go see her, a special point to go see her. And I'm sitting there and she had studied the family tree from as far back as she could search. And she said this, after studying their family tree, she said, the thing that I wanted to tell you was this. There's never been a Savelle who lives like you. I thought that was an interesting statement. She said, there's never been a Savelle who lives like you. I said, well, why not? She said, because they didn't know what you know. They didn't know the Bible like you know the Bible. I thought that was quite interesting. So that means I broke a mold. I became a barrier baker. Amen? And that's what God wants happening in all of our lives, that we break the mold, no matter how our ancestors lived. You know, I didn't come from an affluent family. I was born on a farm in Mississippi. When you're born in Mississippi, it's two syllables, Mississippi, not Mississippi. <laughs> and my grandfather bought that farm in 1927. It's where my dad was raised. It's where I was born. And, 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 if, if it hadn't been for my grandfather having acreage that he could plant and raise crops and he had cattle and he had hogs, he wouldn't have made it through the Depression. And after the Depression was over, uh, my grandfather never trusted another banker as long as he lived. He buried his money on the farm. He, God got him out of the Depression, but he couldn't get Depression out of my grandfather. He still had that mentality. And when I was just a young boy and I found out that grandpa buried his money all over the farm, I became a treasure hunter. I found it buried all over the place. In fact, when he, he, my grandparents died, my parents died, and I inherited the farm, I wouldn't sell it until I knew I'd found all of grandpa's money. Okay? So anyway, we, we were not from an affluent family. In fact, my dad said he was so poor that when he went to school, uh, he was called white trash because there, there were only three white families on the dirt road where our farm was and the rest were black families. And, but, but my parents were not racist. And in those days, Mississippi was the most racist state in the Union. But I was not raised racist. The, the lady up just up the hill from our house, her name was Daisy May, a black lady. And she had about five, six boys. And we all played together all the time. I, I thought they'd just been in the sun longer than me, got a better tan. I didn't know any difference. And, and Daisy May was like another mother to me, like a nanny. And I remember uh, when, when I had... In, been in the ministry about 10 years and I went back to Mississippi to do some preaching in several different cities and I decided to go through Vicksburg and see if Daisy May was still living because she was like another mother to me when I was growing up 
And, and my dad and mom, they weren't working for me at that time. Shortly after, they started working for me. And they had moved back to Mississippi. And I asked my dad, I said, is Daisy May still living? She said, oh, yeah, same house she was in when you were a boy. I said, I'm going to go see her, see if she remembers me. So I, I drove up to the house, still a dirt road up to the house. Our, our road was now gravel, but hers was still dirt. I drove up to the house. She's sitting out on the front porch, had a high front porch, had white hair, these glasses down here over her nose, and she was shelling beans in her apron. When I drove up and got out of the car, she looked over them glasses and saw me, threw that apron straight up and said, there's my boy. There's my boy. She touches me to this day. But we weren't, we weren't raised the way I live today. I broke the mold because previous ancestors didn't know these things from the Word of God. Amen. My dad moved us from Mississippi to Louisiana. And if he hadn't done that, he didn't know he was being directed by God back then. He just, he just thought, you know, a friend of his moved, that he grew up with moved to Shreveport and told him he could make more money doing paint and body work in Shreveport than in Vicksburg, Mississippi. That's the reason he moved. But if we hadn't moved out of Mississippi off that farm, I'd have grown up with the same mentality as my grandfather. I'd have, I'd have had that poverty mentality. In fact, my my grandfather was still driving a 1929 Model A pickup in 1960. Wouldn't spend money for a new car. And my dad worked at the Chevrolet dealership, and he, he told my dad, he said, Grandpa, Dad, go bit, dig up some of your money, and you gotta, I'm, I'm making you buy a new truck. And Grandpa came to Shreveport, went to the Chevrolet dealership, Dad had picked out a truck for him, a 1960 Apache 10 pickup, and Grandpa peeled out $1,760.36, paid cash for the truck. I was 14 years old. He was afraid to drive it because he didn't want to scratch it, and I drove that truck all the way back to Mississippi, 180 miles, and I couldn't even see over the steering wheel. <laughs> and as soon as we got it to Mississippi, he put it in a barn, locked it up, and went back to driving the 29 Model A pickup. I'm kind of glad he did now because I have that truck and it's a brand new truck. <laughs> Has very little miles on it. <laughs> but that's the mentality that my grandfather had, and that's the kind of mentality I would have had if we'd have remained living there. But Dad moved us to Shreveport, and little did he know he's being led by the Spirit of God because eventually we moved to to Millard Street, where this little girl named Carolyn Creech lived, just down the road, and that little girl became my wife. And she was responsible for getting me back to God. Amen. And look what happened since. Amen. The cares, the anxieties, and the distractions of the age. Don't let those things rob you of the future that God has planned for you. Amen. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the message translation says, 
Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Has anybody figured out everything that's going on in the world today? Anybody got the answers? The greatest revelation you will ever receive in your life is God is smarter than you. So you be you and let God be God. Amen. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. I love that. He's the one who will keep you on track. Say this with me. God's plan is perfect. God's timing is perfect. Say it again. God's plan is perfect. And God's timing is perfect. He's not going to forget you. He's not going to ignore your faith. He's not going to overlook your stability in him, your established heart. He's going to honor that. So don't get weighed down with all that the media is saying. They aren't final authority. Let God's word be final authority. If I didn't know, if I didn't know what the word says, I'd throw up my hands and quit like a lot of other people. My prayer would probably be come quickly Lord Jesus. Get us out of here. But I know that I know. Just like that song we had with all them, we know, we know, we know. (laughs) I know that I know that I know that God is not going to let me fail. Do you know that? That God is not going to allow you to fail. Let his word be final authority. Now, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul strongly suggests that you do this. Amplified Version says, Do not be conformed to this world or this age, but be ye transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude. The message translation says, Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Fix your attention on God. Say that with me. Fix your attention on God. To fix your attention on God is to fix your attention on His Word. Amen. To know God is to know His Word. To know His Word is to know God. In the beginning was God. In the beginning was His Word. They're one and the same. So become like the Roman centurion that came to Jesus. He said, my servant lieth at home on the verge of death. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. The centurion said, that's not necessary. He said, I understand authority. He said, I'm a man with authority and I'm a man under authority. I tell a man, go and he goes. I tell a man, come and he comes. I tell a man, do this and he does this. He said, I recognize authority, so I recognize authority in you and in your words. So you don't have to come to my house. Speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Jesus turned to his disciples. Now remember, this is a Roman centurion. He's not a a Jew. 
In fact, as far as the Jews were concerned, he was a dog. But a Roman centurion had more faith than most of the Jewish people in the synagogue that Jesus had taught in. And he turned to his disciples and said, I have never seen such great faith as this, not even in Jerusalem. And what was it that caused Jesus to say that the man's faith was great? Speak the word only. Get to the place in your life where that's all you need. What does the Bible say? What does God say about this? What does Jesus have to say? What does the Apostle Paul have to say about it? What does Peter have to say about it? The Bible says these men received their inspiration from God. And, and, and the words that they wrote are holy writ, inspired and breathed upon by God. Amen? So our attitude should be like that Roman centurion. Speak the word only. That's all I need. If you say I have a bright future, I have a bright future. If you say I, I, I can expect to be fruitful in old age, I'll be fruitful. If you say I, I will be thriving and I will be prosperous, that settles it as far as I'm concerned. Speak the word only and that's how to be in my life. That's my future. Give the Lord a shout if you believe it. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, if you don't allow God's word to be final authority, I feel for you. You got a, you got a, you got a hard road to go. But if God's word is final authority in your life, and that does not exempt you from challenges, but it exempts you from being destroyed by them. It exempts you from being overthrown by them. Amen? So make God's word final authority. Isn't that the word that Brother Copeland had for this year? Make God's word final authority. Hallelujah. Now let's all stand. And uh, I don't know what you're going to do now, but I'll turn it back to you, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that was so good. How many know that uh, when you value God and His presence, I'm telling you, more comes to those who really do truly value. When you have someone like this in the house and you long and desire to hear the wisdom that comes from them. And let me say this regarding wisdom. I said to a good friend of mine this morning, wisdom, yes, it helps us become better speakers, better uh, gifts and, you know, and all that stuff. But wisdom is also, most importantly, it's what helps us to have more effective relationships with Jesus. So let's take a moment. We never like to close our services without giving you an opportunity. You can be seated for a moment. Uh, we never like to give you, uh, just, we just like to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to make Christ their Lord and Savior, to return to Christ if you need to get back on course. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never made the decision to receive Christ or you need to recommit your heart to the Lord Jesus, would you be bold enough and brave enough all over this auditorium just to say, Pastor, that's me, pray for me. Go ahead and slip up your hands all over this room, just acknowledge, and I want to receive Christ to recommit my heart to the Lord Jesus. Thank you so much. I know it takes a lot of courage to do that, but I really appreciate it. We never like to move too fast when it comes to this. This is the important part of the service. Any others who say, Pastor, pray for me too. 
Okay, let's do this. Let's pray with those that are making that quality choice, that decision. Those that are watching us online, we want you to do this with us as well. There's a scripture in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means no matter what you've done wrong, all that matters right now is what Jesus has done right. So let's take a moment. Let's pray with those that are making that quality choice and that decision. Let's reverence what the Holy Spirit is doing right now, right here. Would you pray this out loud with me? Heavenly Father, forgive me of all my sins. Jesus, come into my heart. I accept you as my Lord, my Savior, and my best friend. Thank you for dying on the cross for all of my sins. I commit my life to you now and forever. Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence. Take my life and do something with it. In Jesus' name, Amen and amen. Would you give the Lord a big hand clap? Let him know how much you love him.